We are the Love Jays, and you're listening to Married Millennials. A conversation about being young, in love, and navigating life one student loan payment at a time. I'm Joy. I'm Justin. Let's get to it. Hello and thank you for tuning in to episode 68 of Married Millennials. We hope all of you had a super dope weekend. Joy and I survived Disneyland with four kids. And more importantly, I survived Disneyland (laughs) with four kids, my wife and my mother-in-law. Oh, stop it. She's going to get you for that. She is going to get me. I I love her to death, but let's be real. I really, I enjoy the dynamic that you and my mother share. Because like there's, you both don't hold back. Well, our patience levels are literally on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. She's the most patient person in the universe. On the planet. And you are, I mean, you're not the most impatient person ever, but you're you're not great. As I explained yesterday at Disneyland. Is I am not very patient when it comes to adults, right. and the reason why I'm not patient is because I feel like you're an adult and you should be able to get it. So right. when things that I assume or believe that are pretty easy right. to understand and you don't understand and try to fight me, I I, I just have no patience for that. Right. But when it comes to kids, and Joy saw this yesterday, as I have a lot more patience with kids, and it brings my demeanor down. You are so good with kids now. I mean, I I, I used to work the camps, the basketball camps, yes. and I, I would see you with kids then, but it was more playtime. But even I respect your role as a disciplinarian now. Like, you were, you were good at just going and talking to them, being like, hey, we're not going to make a big deal out of this. No, we're not, we don't have time. This is not going to be No, we don't have time And the that. thing is, they listen to you. So, And we were with four children all under the age of six. We had four, six, and then two two-year-olds. Yes. So, so I mean, like, legit kids. Yeah. Like, we were... <laughs> Three strollers. And you... Babies. I think you got on them all at one point. Like, yeah, all no, four of them got it. we're not going to do that. But you were also fun. They loved you. They were all over you the whole day. It's because I got the uncle touch. Yeah, you got the uncle touch. I got the uncle touch. So yeah. just what we figured out after yesterday is that I am more ready for kids than Joy is. That's not true. I think I did go with the kids yesterday, actually. You did all right. Just know that Joy's niece says she wanted to ride with me on the rides But then first. she wanted to ride with me. Yeah, but she chose She's, me first I over appreciate you. that she's so fair. Yeah, she was like, but I rode with you already. I got to ride with Joy. <laughs> yeah, Auntie Joy. <laughs> Auntie Joy. Yeah, she Auntie did Joy. That. Listen, we've discussed. It's not happening tomorrow. But I will say that I enjoyed my day more than I thought I would. Agree. Like, yeah. I, I actually enjoyed being with the kids. I enjoyed having a kid Disneyland day. Yeah, it was, I, I was struggling when we first got there because it was like, okay, this is our, we weren't even at the park. You were struggling yet. with the pace of things. Yes. Which I also struggle with. We won't have that issue because you and I both move Yeah, got to get, gotta get your pace moving. Yeah. Got to get your pace For moving. For those of you who walk slowly through Disneyland, don't. Through life. Don't like, just say yeah. Disneyland, through life. Right. Supermarkets. <laughs> department stores. Right. The streets of New York. Like, I mean, pick it up. Pick your pace up. You got to move. Pick you your pace up. And like... I know my legs are extremely long. <laughs> my brother-in-law was like, not everyone has stilts for legs. <laughs> Trying to keep up with us in Disneyland. And I understand that. But keep pace. Joy has found a way to keep pace. Yeah. But my, and I explained to everybody, my dad was super tall growing up. So, gotcha. I mean, my so dad, he's around the same height as you. Yeah, my legs he's are longer taller. than his though. Yeah. But again, walking, you know. I had to keep up. At a brisk pace. Exactly. I know what I'm doing. Girls Trip was released this weekend. I still haven't seen it. I want to see it so bad. I heard it was great. Yeah. Twitter has nothing but rave reviews about it. I believe it made $30 million at the box office oh, this weekend. Yes. I'm so into it. I, we're we're going to go see it. We had prior commitments, so we obviously couldn't make it this weekend. But I want to encourage everyone to go see it. I've heard such wonderful things. And we've got to support black girl friendships. Like, I, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's four black women in the leads. Yeah, like, that's, like, let's support that. We've, we've got to. And also, Insecure premiered last night. Team Lawrence. Yeah, we watched that. Are you Team Lawrence? Team I mean, Lawrence. I feel like I'm pretty much Team Lawrence. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, like, when in the beginning of season one, I was kind of like, come on, bro. I was Team Eason. Yeah, but I was like, ah, come like, on, bro. Like, you got to you gotta pick yeah. it up. But then she just threw a mad curveball, and I was like, nah, that's not going to work. So yeah. Lawrence went out like a G, and then he continued his G move 
I yesterday. I won't spoil for it for her, season though. one. I do because I'm just like I, I don't know why I feel bad because I'm like you messed that up on your own. But part of me is like give her a second chance, which is where my double standard. Always, it's <laughs> all, there's always a double standard with Joy. Yeah. Always, when it comes to men, we can do one thing and it's just the worst thing possible and completely unforgivable. But let a woman do it. There's always a way to rationalize. Well, this is what she was thinking. Well, no, 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 Joy. Yeah. If this is what you're going to say and believe. Stick to it. Don't change your mind when it's a man or a woman who's committing the wrong. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> I understand that that's a shortcoming of mine. Well, I, I appreciate I your honesty. I want to be fair, but I guess I'm just not. <laughs> it was a wonderful weekend for Black Girl Magic. And keeping in that theme, we got to sit down with the amazingly talented, wonderful, awesome human being, Lena Waith. The thing I love about Lena, she's one of the few people that I've met in life in general, that really wants to do everything that she can to help you out. Whatever is on your heart, whatever goal, whatever talent you have, she is willing to go above and beyond to help you. And you don't find that really much in life, period, but also in in, in the Hollywood world. She still is, as she's become more notable, starring as Denise in Master of None, currently working on her own show for Showtime called The Shy. She just got nominated for an Emmy yeah. for writing one of the episodes of Master of None. I mean, yeah. as she continues to rise through Hollywood, she is still true to who she is as a person. Yeah. And that's always looking out for other people. Yeah, she's the fairy godmother of Hollywood, I like to say. She's not shy about reaching back and bringing you on up, which is what we all should do. It was a fun conversation. We talked about everything from her Emmy nomination to her relationship with her wonderful girlfriend to working with Steven Spielberg on Ready Player One. I mean, just all around fun. A dope conversation indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you Miss Lena Waithe. Today we are joined by a very special guest, writer, actress, producer, director, the one and only Miss Lena Waithe. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, man. All love, always. It's my first time at your crib. Well, we appreciate you coming. It took, it took however long to get here? Yeah. I, a while. <laughs> but you're here. I'm here. And we're here, and we just got fresh off some very, very, very exciting news it was just announced that you were nominated for an emmy yeah for outstanding writing in a comedy series man how does that feel it feels like a blessing that's how it feels it feels like a blessing it feels uh like a dream come true it feels like a culmination of all the things that i've done up until this point but i think you know when you're a, a kid from the south side of chicago who's obsessed with television and watches Nick at night all the time and, and is obsessed with a different world and wants to be a television writer. I don't even know if I was able to dream that big. I just knew I wanted to be mm. a writer. I just right. knew I wanted to work on a television show. And then, I, then my dreams got bigger. I was like, okay, I want to have my own show, which I'm, mm-hmm. I'm blessed enough to, to, be, to be in business with Showtime and, and to have a show about Chicago mm-hmm. that will hopefully be airing early next year. But to then be on a show, which I never even like, thought about ever, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but thanks to Allison Jones, she, she had, has, had a vision clearer than mine. And uh, it introduced me to Aziz, and, and then for me to be on Master of None, and for Master of None to become what it became, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. And for people to really gravitate toward my character, which was also a, a huge blessing, and you never know, you, you never imagine that when you're making yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. But because they liked the character so much, I was able to, we had, we had the freedom to go, okay, well, let's give the character sort of her own episode. Right. And for those guys to give me the opportunity to tell a story from my life and my experience and to make it so personal, I think that all that stuff was such a gift already Mm -hmm. so for the world to love the episode the way they did and to react to it the way they did the the press that we got for it was phenomenal just the way people were writing about it and tweeting at me and you know posting on my wall and kind of stuff like that I was just so I felt so overwhelmed with love and and, and acceptance honestly people really seemed to just really take to the the episode and also a big thing for me there was also a sense of responsibility and that a lot of queer people and particularly queer people of color were hit me up like I've never seen myself depicted so accurately mm. before. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like reward enough. I was For like, sure. that's all I want, man. You did I, your want, job. I want, like, particularly black people to know that I got their back and they can trust me and I want to mm-hmm. get us right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always my biggest thing. You know, when I'm writing, whether it's story and character kind of stuff, yeah, I want to get that. But I want them when they hear the voices, I want it to feel like, like, we have a unique language to our, onto Most ourselves. Most definitely. Right. I tell Joy and that so all the time. I, when I'm writing that, 
and it's tough because a lot of execs tend not to be, you know, African American. But I always hope that when I write something, even though it's not in their dialect, mm-hmm. that they can understand it. And the truth is, obviously, I've been very blessed in that they, a lot of these execs go, "Okay, I feel this, I get it." And so for for the episode to be nominated, you know, this year, among so many amazing, I mean, I'm up against two amazing episodes of Atlanta, two, that's a couple episodes of Silicon Valley. V, I mean, like these are these are television shows that I watch, that I admire, that make me want to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I saw Atlanta, I was like, oh, I want to, I gotta step my game up. Yeah. I gotta <laughs> be better. So to be nominated, um, you know, along with a Donald as well yeah. as his brother, is it's just you know, it's it's phenomenal. So. I still have to say there's not enough words, there's not enough things to express like what it feels like to be invited into a very exclusive club of for people. sure. So and um and I just feel like I'm you know, I'm I'm a torch for all of us. You know, to me, like I share this with the the crew of Dear White People, the crew of Insecure, crew of Queen Sugar, you know, it's been a lot of phenomenal television out there and um you know and i hope i can i think i myself and donald and you know i know ava's nominated for 13th but i feel like but i think we kind of well, i hope we can kind of carry the torch for all this great black tv that's out there right. that may not have been nominated but you know we see them we know the work that's been done and for we sure. know how dope it is and um uh, and even though we're on the nomination list, you know we come in there with with all of them and all the ancestors, and um, and Definitely. I'm just excited, you know, to be in the room and to be a part of that group. Well, what's even more exciting about that, and you just kind of touched on it now, mm-hmm. is that there's three black writers yeah. in just that category Ooh, who yeah. are nominated. Amazing. How revolutionary is that mm-hmm. to have in one specific category? Phenomenal, phenomenal. And um, and I'm honored to be a part of you know that that three and and uh, Cindy Shupak shout out to her uh, who's was a, is a phenomenal writer most notably for Sex and the City but she and I got a chance to meet her at a, uh, at a premiere and she and I connected and I was like you're phenomenal but she texted me that morning to congratulate me but also to tell me I'm the only girl in the category this year mm. so um so I I didn't even think about that because so I saw my on. name like, I, I was like okay I <laughs> she's like you're the only chick in in the category. This year and so um and so that even kind of really kind of hit me in a yeah. way that was like man like okay all right you know and um you know and I think for me it's like the people that I looked up to for so long in terms of like Tina, the Tina Fey's of the world and yeah. you know the Wanda Sykes of the world mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and 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 those folks I mean it's it just it's really it's it, an honor you know and, and I and I carry it that way like I don't whether I get the award or not like I'm you're there I, I'm there and I and to be recognized in that way I mm-hmm. think is it's it's so, it's so humbling. It really, really is. And um, and I know what it means in the industry. You know, I know we live in a town where you know award shows are like a really big deal. So I think definitely. And here's a cool thing: from a lot of people that hit me up, you know, the other day and and texting me or whatever. I, I feel like I, I had a lot of their respect already and yeah. before, you know. Um, but I think there's just another level of of sort of like a stamp that you've sort of made in the industry. For sure. Um, and. And I think that's sort of where a lot of the, the love and the congratulations were coming from because yeah. they're like, you know, this is, if you talk about, there's a lot of moments where you feel like, oh, I made it. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I got a, I, I'm in a, a Spielberg movie. Like, I, I got a TV show on Showtime. Like, they picked up my series. Like, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a part of a, a Emmy winning, you know, t- a TV show, you right. know, already with the Master of None. But like, to be nominated myself for, for writing right. particularly, which is super important because anybody knows me knows that. That's my thing. Yeah. That's what I do. And and um and a lot of people ask, like, oh, you do like acting, producing, or writing better. I'm always like, I was born a television writer, I'll die a television writer. So to be this is for us is like going to the Super Bowl. So yeah. to me, just to be going to the game is, is amazing. Do I want to walk away with the trophy? Absolutely. But <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, you know, I feel like I work my whole life, you know, been shooting in the gym and, and, and watching TV and like, you know, trying to be better. And I'm always still trying to be better. You know, I have a lot of mentees. That um that I love and I'm trying to help and, and make sure they're good. I think they kind of think, oh, you you got it. I'm like, nah, man. I'm learning like just like y'all. Like, yeah, I'm always reading and watching and and learning and you know trying to pay close attention to what you know my heroes are doing. So for me, it's a never ending you know journey yeah. of honing my craft right. for sure. Did you pitch that idea to Aziz and Master of None, or they came to you and no. said, "Tell this story"? No, I um I had no intention of telling that story at oh. all. You know, um it's it's weird. It's never and, and, and it well now people know my story. Yeah, they know right. my coming out story very well. But 
I never thought like, oh, I want to put that into t- a TV script. <laughs> right. exactly. um, I, uh, I I went in to sit with the writers in New York, uh, which they did the first time around. They, they like sat with us and like asked us questions or try to pull things from our lives to make it a, to a cool TV show, which mm-hmm. I think is really smart. Um, and I think it's a big reason why I think people relate to the show because it's they're like, oh, that's the stuff authentic. I'm talking about. That's the thing I was thinking about. And, and we try to really pull from ourselves because gotcha. we're, we're the demographic. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I came in with a list of stuff. I thought maybe... Denise would have a more steady girlfriend in season two, and we would talk about like, and I was gonna pull from my experiences with my girlfriend Alana because we little weird. I know y'all, y'all love, 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 love. anybody that follows me on social media. I love it they, so They're much. familiar with Alana, but so that's what I was doing all year. I was just like be, the, taking notes of like, okay, oh this happened, we got into a fight about this, or like she eats healthy and I don't, or, like how did that work? <laughs> and so and I so I came in locked and loaded with that stuff, and and I was giving to them, and they were like it. They were like, oh, that's funny or that's cool, but um, but then. Because Aziz and Alan are just instinctively curious, like people. Like if they sat with you, like they'd be interviewing you. Yeah. And and, um, and so so somehow in that conversation, like I think Alan just asked me, like, well, how'd you come out? And and I was like, uh, and I just started telling the story. I'm I'm very comfortable telling that. And I do what I typically do. I'm doing impersonations of my mom <laughs> and my aunt and my sister, like all this kind of stuff, and talking about how I came out to my friends and all this kind of stuff. And and after I was done doing my song and dance, they were like. Okay, that's the we I love that. That's the episode. And I was like, What? <laughs> like, I wasn't ready for that. I was like, what? Like, we were just talking. They were like, all these ideas. Yeah. They're like, this is this is gold. And I was like, okay. And and um, I was like, okay, well, go, y'all go write it. Like I, I trust them so much and and they know me and my cadence very well that I can like I can tell them a story. They go away and like Denisify it and they come back right. and it's dope. So I got so I left them, went back to my hotel, and they <laughs> called me. Like, as I'll never forget it, Aziz and Alan called me on the phone and they were like we want to do that story and we want you to help us write it. And um, and I was like, what? And I, and I was honored. But a big thing for me is I like to keep things separate. Like a lot of people ask me, are you going to be in the shy? And I'm like, no. Like, no. Like, I'm, I, and, or, or do you write on Master of None? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I act on that show. The shy is my show. Like, that, that I, 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 want, yep. right. I, I write that. That's an idea that came from my head. Yeah. Not for me to be in it, but you because it's be a story I want to tell. Sure. So, it, so it was a big thing for me where I really wanted to keep those things separate. But Aziz really was persuasive and so was Alan and they were like we can't write that as well as you could mm-hmm. and they were really honest about that and um, and I was like okay and, uh, and and it was also too at the time I had a really full plate like I was about to go to London and film a movie like I we had my show for the show time, I had not been picked up quite yet I don't think and so I was really still hustling and bustling mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff and I didn't want to half ass this episode for sure but somehow some way like it kind of worked out and what, what Aziz wants Aziz gets and <laughs> that's a good cut thing. to me being in London he flew out and we were in a room for like three days on a weekend that I had off from the mm-hmm. movie and uh we we knocked it out. We wrote it, and we had a fantastic time. It was so it came so easy. It was like um, I think the room really kind of helped shape the outline um, mm-hmm. in terms of how we would tell all these stories that I told them. Like, they also wanted to fit everything in. And big ups to Anise uh, Ansari, who was Aziz's younger brother, who came with the idea of like having it be told over a course of Thanksgivings, which really helped to shape the yeah. the episode. That was a great idea. And um and and yeah, and, and me and Aziz just got in a room and like and he just I just kept like telling him stuff and like you know. That's how we got nipples and toes, and that's how we got all the kind of stuff. And like, um, you know, the video, like watching videos in, in the hotel room right. from that time, and um, and him just asking me questions, and like me being very vulnerable, and and uh, and feeling comfortable enough with him sure. to kind of tell him, you know, all those things. And, and he then he and I will never forget, like he left the room because we, we were goofing around, like having fun and joking. And then when it came time to write the the, the diner scene where she actually comes out to her mom, he just like kind of like left the room, like just instinctively, and um, and I. Sat in, in that hotel room and like remembered that moment that you never Damn. forget and like um and just wrote that scene out and uh and it was really it was cathartic and but it's so funny because everybody was like oh was it like so was it like therapeutic like no because I had already I that wound had healed like I was mm-hmm. good and so to be able to retell it in a way that I know no one had seen before because it was so specific to me and my mom and my life mm-hmm. and, and and also too a big thing for me which I remember telling Alan Aziz was. I think often when you there's anything with like coming out or gay people, religion always sort of comes into it. And a big thing for me, that's why I think also Pariah is really beautifully done. I think Dereese did a wonderful job. I think that was more about though. I think them being in New York and like them being sort of African descent. Mm-hmm. That's what it was very much a big. 
part of that story. Um, obviously, it wasn't that wasn't a part of mine. Like this is black folks from Chicago, <laughs> middle class, you know, like you know. And it was more about keeping up with the Joneses. You yeah. know, it was a, a, like the fact that the first thing my mom genuinely asked me was like, "Well, who who have you told? Like who like who's gonna know? Like mm-hmm. don't tell this person. Don't tell your like right. that. It was about the secrecy. It was about embarrassment. It was mm-hmm. about what have I done wrong? It was very you know what is this? This is a, you are a reflection on me as right. my child out in the world. And and it, to me, this kind of deals with a lot of different layers in terms of like. People of like my mother's generation, because I think there's somebody could look at it and go, "Oh well, she should just accept you." I'm like, no. Here's the truth: she was born in 1953, which means she was born into a segregated country. Mm-hmm. So she grew up in a time where black people were sort of told, especially can you can imagine my grandmother's you yeah. know, perspective, right. which is to tell your black children to make the, the society at, at, at large, which is a fancy way of saying white people, uh, to feel comfortable right. and to to eat, to assimilate into society right. and to get a job, to work hard, to stay out of the way, yep. to not ruffle feathers and to not make them feel uncomfortable. Stay out of the crosshairs. And right. so, and that's how, that's, you, you can't not, that's, that's They're just trying your, to, it's their way of protecting us. Exactly. So yeah. I, I'm a part of a generation where I was raised by someone who also still believes like, I want my kids to have a college degree I want them to, you know, have a house. I want people to look at them and go, oh, aren't they such a wonderful contributing member of society? Right. Which is fine, but I think I'm a person that was also sort of raised with a certain pride and a certain sort of swag that's like, I don't care if I make white people uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I don't have to assimilate into that society it. because yeah. I came it's up during a time yeah. where hip hop was like, that, that was, that, it's like it went from, the the Jim Crow era and segregation to like you know NWA you know right. so it's like so for us we kind of we, we had these parents of that generation but we also had influences you know like you know, we had comics you know they you know like Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence and like Ice Cube and Tupac and Biggie like you know so it's like so that was what I grew up on mm-hmm. so it's sort of telling me like no be you be yourself like who cares like you know thug life all this kind of stuff so that is all a mix of like who I am and so mm-hmm. when I come up and also too I'm, I'm in a house of women, like you know, my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, like literally. That, that's so you guys I all live up. together. Yeah, well, my aunt practically lived with us, you know. Okay. So, but yeah. I live with, I did. I grew up in my grandmother's house. That cliche black stuff. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but whatever. Like my mom was a single mom. She had two kids. She couldn't afford to take care of us on her own. So we were living in my grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. She had plenty of rooms. So we were like, we're gonna be up in here. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> and my aunt like lived very close, so she was like always at yeah. the house. So and, I, and also I have an older sister too. So right. about two years, but still. So I was the baby of like all these black women in the house. And these are the conversations I would hear, but also they would sort of walk around with their, you know, heads held high and their chest out and, you know, fly and all these things. So even though they didn't know it at the time, but they were sort of raising me to be really proud of Mm -hmm. who I was. Even if that meant I was a gay black woman, yeah, that, that they didn't bargain for. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that but they, yeah, they just. But that's sort of you know kind of how all of that was born. That's why I think I'm proud of it because I'm telling a queer black story, which very right. rarely happens. That that's not about somebody throwing the Bible at you. Yep. Um, but also, I'm telling a story about black women, which right. I think that we don't really get a chance to see. And I think between Angela Bassett and Kim Whitley, and also the, the amazing actress who plays you know my grandmother, who's a local New York actress, I think these women are definitely representative of, you know, our families right. and our cousins and our aunts. And the I was going to say, we with. all have an auntie, like, Kim. Everybody. Well, that's why the episode is so that's relatable. Yeah, yeah. Like, man, yeah. that's my aunt, that's She's grandma. So Everybody yeah. can piece, Straight oh man, at least black folks can, yeah. can piece mm-hmm. that. Like, well, I know that person's mm-hmm. definitely a member yeah. of my family. How, what was your family's reaction once they saw the episode? Did you tell them beforehand, like, hey, by the way, you're about to be depicted on TV? No, not really. And I think a big <laughs> thing for me, I'm, I mean, and I have a, you know, I also have a family out here, which is like my village. But that's true. I have a very small family now. My, that grandmother who's depicted in the episode has since passed away. My aunt, like, no longer lives in that neighborhood, so we don't get a chance to talk so much anymore. So my family mostly consists of my mom and my sister. Mm-hmm. So um, Lawrence Pitt, she got left out of the episode. I tried to get you in there, but it was like, <laughs> but then it makes it more complicated. She got to say so. I was trying. I was yeah. like, let's give her an older sister. Because the funny thing about my sister is she's like straight as a board. So that's to me why it's also hilarious. Uh, like you look at our childhood picture, it's like she's like in like the bows, and I'm in like the overalls and like you know the, the messy hair afro. So it's like you can like see it from then but but it's was like well I gotta sort of be the sibling and I was like no right. I totally get it and that made sense um but yeah I I told well here's the thing like it kind of got leaked that Angela was playing my mom we were trying to keep right. that a secret but it kind of got out there the yes. <laughs> uh, so she was just more like about that I was like oh that's dope I don't think she'd even care if that it was about like coming out or whatever and right. um but I think to me I try not to 
talk too much about it because if I, if I do write something personal, I never want to talk to any of them about it because they might have an opinion that might seep into my head yeah. yep. and that might affect how I write it. So I try to keep it super quiet if I'm ever doing something like that um, just because I want my brain to be pure and I want to tell it from my perspective. Um, right. But a lot of people were like, oh, well, did you talk to your mom beforehand? I'm like, absolutely not because I had to, <laughs> like, just, I, and it's good because I literally was left in that hotel room in London with Aziz with my own memory and my own recollection of how it went down and I think um, and obviously it like, worked out people really, really didn't take to it and they really liked it but I was telling it from my perspective mm-hmm. um, and uh, but at the same time I, I you know I in writing the mother not just because she's my mom but I, I didn't want her to be a villain or and I didn't want I don't want to be the hero of my own story gotcha. like, we both were two people who had never dealt with anything like this before right. um, who were like struggling to t- understand it both parties um, and and we didn't always handle it exactly the right way but we kind of figured it out and and I'm so happy that people really took to Angela's character who's Lucy based on my mom and, and they already kind of like my character so I was like we're going to sort of let my character do what I actually did which is just come out in my own way but I love that people say I really like the mom and I like the I like the I like the grandmother because yeah. they're based on like real people yeah. who, who um, are amazing human beings, you know, but who never been faced with that before. And um, and I think that's just the honest way to look at it, you know, because sometimes you get upset like, well, I don't like with my mom or dad or whoever handled it. But the truth is, there's no rule book. There's yeah. no oh how to guide yeah. of how to deal with, you know, when a kid comes out to you. So I think to me, I sort of learned to be a little bit more empathetic to the, the people that are being come out to, not just the people that have to come out. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the journey for both. made sense. It made a lot of sense. It, it felt very honest. I, I didn't, I mean, I know it was just from your perspective, uh-huh. but it didn't feel like, like you said, that your mom was a villain or right. she didn't understand. I very much got that feeling of she was raised a certain way right. and was protective and like, was kind of thinking, what is this going to be like for you? Because uh-huh. I think I hear that a lot when people are coming out that, Parents just want their kid to have it as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that makes your life a little bit more difficult sometimes. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and a lot of people. What I got from it. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of people said to me, which is so crazy because you think your experience is so like unique to you. Some people are like, that's an identical version of like what happened in my family. Right. Or that's exactly what my mom, yeah. how my mom reacted. And that's from people who are Asian, from people who are white, from people yeah. who are Latino. That's dope. You know, yeah. um, you know, some people who are like who are immigrants also happen to come. I mean, I've got it's run the gamut. People have hit me and been like, I, I experienced that too. And so the great thing about what we get to do in our jobs is that we get we I have a bigger platform to, mm-hmm. to speak about my experiences. But the cool thing is in in that blessing I have is that other people get to see themselves and go, that's how my thing looked or and and there's a connection there's a connective tissue even if I never meet them they're like we are connected because we've had a similar shared experience Um, and it was and it was and it was not as different as one would think you know and so I just really appreciate when people hit me and say like that was like mine or that's how my mom reacted or that's what my grandmother is like because I I just hope it reminds everybody that we are so much more alike than we Mm. are different for sure you know even straight people they're like yo that's not my story but I, I like related it. to yeah. it and I liked it and the family right. reminded me of my own. So anything that I, I just that's what entertainment does. It is, I think I hope it brings us all together and reminds us that we we have a lot more in common right. than we think we do. So from your start, when did you start dating women? Like when did you cuz I I know you came out once I mean, if this show is accurate, how old were you when you came out to your mother? Uh, yeah, we we kind of like sped it up actually. Like we in the show, we make it as if she came out while she was in college. Right. I did not come out while I was in college. Mm-hmm. I came out to my friends when I was in college. Right. Um, yeah, we sped it because obviously, like, I didn't come out to my friends when I was like, because we she, we have my character come out to Dev like when they're like it's like teenagers. Yeah. Yep. So I did not do that. I was like, um, <laughs> I, uh, like I I we kind of like sped it up a little bit, but I I came out to my friends in college. Came out to my mom like right after I moved out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were actually at a diner and all <laughs> hey, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know. I moved now. You can't. You can't. Exactly. Me, yeah. Like no, I waited a bit. I was in my early twenties. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, so it's like so so I I my coming out was it was definitely a process. But for for me, I started like dating women. I would say like in college, but you got to remember, I was still in Chicago in college, and I was living with my mom, uh, so I was very much in a space of figuring it out, like watching the L word and like what? watching like you know. 
just very lesbianic movies and stuff like that and like and being around lesbians for the first time in, uh-huh. in college you know, where I went to Columbia College in Chicago mm-hmm. um, but I didn't really have the freedom so that's why I think when I moved to Los Angeles was actually when I was like oh well I don't I have I can really like, start yeah dating. like yeah. you know I just, I'm not like hiding there's not eyes on me but I'm going to bump into somebody I know so but I was still exploring for sure when I was in college um, just because you just do that yeah. mm-hmm. but it was very much like on the down low and stuff mm-hmm. but then when I was in, in LA that's when I got to like I went to a lesbian a bar. I went to a gay black club. Like I was like all this kind of stuff. I was like, ex- it was like hilarious. I was yeah. exploring everything. <laughs> like oh, like okay. this is like oh, this is cool. Um, and so yeah, so like so that's why like in my twenties, like that's when I was sort of like dating and mm-hmm. like exploring and like meeting women of Los Angeles, which is a different kind of chick, you know. Out here, right? It's like okay, it's, it's a different different. <laughs> not bad. I mean, but it's just like you know, it's but not good. That, it, well, no, I mean, it, but it's girls that don't look gay, so to speak. And, you know, my it's like it's like you know these like lipstick lesbians. Bunch of mm-hmm. like white. It's just it's crazy. It's yeah, like it's not. Hollywood. Yeah, it ain't <laughs> Chicago. It's like yeah. okay. So right. so yeah. So that was a you know that was my experience. That's why it's so hilarious that I wound up with a girl from Chicago, who you know who is you know black girl who's like fly and like very much a boss and um and yeah, I was so let's talk her. about that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, you know like, I'm obsessed. I didn't know that she was from Chicago. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't either. I was like, uh-huh. this is a new nugget. I didn't know. So yeah, she's from Chicago. It's uh, around the same area right now. No, she grew up in the Burbs. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like no. <laughs> she grew up very comfortably. Okay, so you guys. Mom and dad in the house. So you got, oh, okay. (laughs) So the only similarity was that you guys grew up in the same city. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. There was No, we have, but like, we both have a similar kind of mother in that, like, you know, there's just similar. We were kind of raised in a somewhat of a similar way. Like, we have, we both have like that black mom in Chicago that's like got her eye on you and like, is like keeping everything in order. So, yeah. And you're your girlfriend's first girlfriend, correct? Uh huh. What was that like? I mean, just in general, from how you felt of getting into it, how she felt getting into it, how the families reacted, friends. Well, interestingly enough, um, I dated my share of sort of quote unquote straight girls or whatever, or um, girls who had never been with a woman before. And okay. that's so not your first radio. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but I, and that's, and some people say in the gay community, that's like not the best habit because it tends to not always work out well. But I, I think with her, like everything was different. Like, honestly, it was very seamless in a weird way. I mean, in terms of, my fr- but also, Alana and I fell in love very fast. And so, mm-hmm. if anything, that was people were like, wait, oh, okay, what? You gonna, you done fell, tripped and fell into a relationship. <laughs> um, but it was just like, she was the one. So, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Like, and I just was very, I'm very decisive. I'm very like, let's go. So, I was just like, oh, I'm pouring everything into this this amazing woman and, and, and our time and and. and I was like, this is it. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm good. And uh, it's like, it don't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. It did not take me very long to go, okay, but how, whatever I can do to, to let her know that I'm also the one for her, hopefully. Yep. But um, we just really vibed. And the truth is, we, didn't, we were also Whitney Bobby shit. We didn't care, like, what anybody thought or <laughs> what was going on. And, um, but, you know, but she like told her family, and I think I think for her family, it was, like, very much a surprise because she had only dated men her whole life. So mm-hmm. they're like, what? But they were also super, like, chill. And, um, and uh, for me, I didn't, like, my family, I didn't, they, I, I, I told them like, but I, it didn't. Here's my thing about when you meet somebody, nobody else matters. Like it doesn't. Who cares? If, like you're, what your friends think or whatever. And I love my friends. They're my village. But I was like, oh yeah, guys, I'm in love. Isn't this a wonderful thing? Right. <laughs> and um, and I think her friends was like super chill too. I mean, I think some of them. Were, here's the funny thing about Alana. They were more surprised. They were like, you in a relationship? Forget being a girl. You in a relationship? <laughs> just because like she was so independent and like right. she still is, but just sort of like walking through the world, being the boss that she is, and she continues to be that the cool mm-hmm. thing is now we just sort of have to be mindful of the other and as you guys know it's about being in a partnership and compromising and sharing your life with somebody right and um and i think that's if anything that's always the most rocky part of like being in a relationship the love part is easy yeah. but like then trying to like be to consider someone the day-to-day to, to yeah. like you know obviously yeah we live together and, and we, we share a home and so you know i think that's always that's the little adjustment but it wasn't much you know it's like when you it's like, oh, this is what they mean by soulmate. Like somebody that just right. kind of gets it and you guys just fit really well and you're willing to do whatever you got to do to make it work and all that kind of stuff. And, and she's she's a gift, like truly. Like I don't know. I, it, it's so crazy to have gone my, li- my, my whole life without her and now I can't imagine what life would be like without her. Yeah, you guys very much seem like 
you were in a relationship and you were just kind of like, okay, yeah, and then kept going. Yeah. Like, it just made sense for you. Yeah. It made complete sense. Yeah. That's very cute. How has it been dating another entertainment mogul? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. You guys truly are. You're a power couple. Legitimately a power couple. two black females, too. Like, I mean, come on. Taurus, too. Two Taurians, born same month, same year. She's May 2nd. I'm May 17th. 84. Uh, oh really? Uh, so I mean, like so, I, I, did, I mean, yeah. literally. Oh yeah, we're like. So you vibe on a lot of levels. Yeah, both from Chicago. You yeah. know, both have very strong dominant mothers, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it's 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 actually more comfortable. I don't I'm, I don't have that weird thing that people have like I want to date somebody not in the industry. Mm-hmm. I could never do that. I don't yeah. think I could because this business, what I do, I'm so submerged in it. Like, mm-hmm. I think about it. I, I talk about it all the time. Like, I don't want to talk about anything else. Like, yeah. I'm like, it's so funny when I see documentaries like what, like that Kobe documentary or Michael Jordan documentaries, like, they say, like, ball is life. Like, mm-hmm. writing is life. Hollywood is like, this is like, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with being the best. I'm obsessed with, like, you know, people respecting my conglomerate. I'm obsessed with, like, learning the craft. And so... And I know Alana could take a break from it. She's very much like, oh, do we have to talk about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's like, I get it. But for me, I'm like, I get the Kobe thing, mm-hmm. you know, where he's like, I, what else is there? You know, until like now, he's like, he's retired and like he's doing something completely different. But like for me, it's like, this is it. Like I'm so obsessed yeah. with it. And so her being an exec is great because we speak a similar language, you know, and she she gives me things that I don't necessarily think about. And mm-hmm. I think her being with a, a creative is like she kind of, although she's sort of dated like creatives or whatever, but she kind of. <laughs> That's in the past. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but like she kind of has a better understanding of mm-hmm. like, oh, so this is what the writers are going through when they send a script in or this mm-hmm. is what they're thinking. This is their process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just, it's like, I love it. I love you know, the way our brains work and how we communicate with each other. And I, I love it. I wouldn't want to be a part of anything else. So we can say that your craft has improved since you started dating Alana. Ah, <laughs> it's the, look, she she always jokes that there's like this called like the Alana come up, like people that date her. And then all of a sudden, Damn. Like, oh. <laughs> so, so you're on I, the I'm Alana a, come I'm up? I'm a product of it because, you know, I mean, post dating her, got Master of None, obviously got the, the Ready Player One and um, Emmy nominated, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, but I think the truth is, I think it's, that's her way of saying, I like to say, she is someone who is so supportive and so kind and so loving that if you're in a relationship with her, you feel like there's nothing you can't do. So, yeah. and I was already a very oh, like cool. confident person, mm-hmm. yeah. but I think having her as my foundation and our relationship means that I can step out on like any cliff any, and do anything. And if I fall, I fall, yeah. but at least I'm falling into her arms, which is not a bad place to be. Right. That's, That's the realest thing about relationships. That's when you know you found the right one. Exactly. I want everybody to understand about love. It's not that you don't have a backbone on your own, but it's like a reinforcement to your backbone. Right. That's what the right relationship mm-hmm. does yeah, yeah. which is like you know you're steady and that's why I tell Justin at the end of the day I'm like we got each other yeah. end of the day well, and, it, yeah. and it just gives you that extra boost to go after something that you may yes. be uncertain about oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a little nervous but yeah. like, like, I got you I believe in you and if it fails we still got each other it really helps yeah. I, I think that's why I think people well hopefully if you're in the right relationship you're you're both thriving right. you know or learning and growing and For I think sure. Alana's done a lot of growing as well in terms of you know the way she looks at things and just last night she was asking me she's like do you feel like you have a different perspective now than you did 10 years ago and I was like absolutely and um and I asked her I was like do you feel like I'm different than three years ago which is when we started dating and so she was like yeah she's like absolutely so I feel like you're more grounded I feel like you have a and I, and I think so too I think I have my priorities a little bit more you know aligned and I had also too I'm not I don't stress as much I think about things that I might have because I do have that that home base where mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. I don't care if that blows up. I don't care if that don't work. I don't care if that fails because it's like, this is what's important. Most home, definitely. You know? I will say, because, I mean, we met you back in, was that 2013? 2013. Yeah, and there's um, a certainty about you. That's what mm-hmm. that's what I feel you've gained. You're just like, everything just seems to have sharpened. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I would say has mm-hmm. changed about you since you've been in your relationship <laughs> since you've been in your Alana come up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now you just mentioned Ready Player One. Yeah. As many people know, that film was directed by arguably one of the greatest directors of all time, Steven uh-huh. Spielberg. How was that experience getting to work with someone like that? Phenomenal. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> like, phenomenal. Phenomenal. My 
theory on him is that he's a giant that doesn't make you feel small. Oh, I love that. He's he's a phenomenal man. He's he's uh he's like a father, a mentor, a leader. He's somebody you have to put all your trust in. You know, obviously, you know, I feel like any any on any set I've been on, I have to I feel like I have to trust the director a little bit more just because it's not my, you know, it's not my the thing that I, I I'm always like so comfortable in. You know, I'm I like being behind the scenes more. And mm-hmm. so, but it's also a part of my life. You know, I'm a performer and mm-hmm. I'm an actor. And so, but I really have to trust the directors I work with mm-hmm. just because I got to trust that I'm like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm on the right page. I'm being honest and mm-hmm. I'm, in the, I'm, in the, I'm in the moment. And he's someone that I trusted already, like right away because Straight of up. his work and, and what he's done. But he also is someone that earns it as well. Like when you're working with him, you just feel safe. And but also you, he has he has his brain is like an encyclopedia. You can talk to him about anything, anything and everything under the sun, not just movies. Yeah. I, obviously, that's the thing that we talk about sometimes in between setups. But he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. And I think it's interesting when people ask me about it or what's the experience that they they think of. Like I'm going to talk about him as a director, but I learned so much about how to be a better person, about how to be a great leader, how to how to make everybody on set feel like their job is just as important as his. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I got from him, truly. And, and it was just a phenomenal experience. You know, it's like, it's it's educational to watch him direct his education. That's why, to me, I would also go on set when I wasn't working mm-hmm. some days just because I just like watching him work. I like watching him work with his crew. I love watching him work with my fellow castmates. And um, it's, a, it's an experience I will never forget. And I'm honored to be a part of, you know, his legacy. Mm-hmm. And one of the many movies he's done and, and and at this point in his career because he's already a legend but he's still you know challenging himself he's still playing with the with the with um you know with with cinema and how we think of it and I just feel honored to be a part of it. I'm in love with the with the the concept of working with Steven Spielberg. I'm not an actress so I'm like, in love with I, it as well. I don't think but I would love to just I would just love to sit and talk with him. But I hear that a lot Such of a nice you man. know successful people in the industry they know so much about everything. They're not, mm-hmm. you know. No, he's a just a really mind. smart guy. Yeah, and he's also a great father too. Student of life, which is something like I always kind of look at. Like I got this, some of his kids came to visit, mm-hmm. and he's just a, a very present mm-hmm. dad, and and um, that's why it's like that's he feels like you know a dad on set. Like you feel like you're taken care of. Now, anyone who's followed your journey over the years knows that Chicago is near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. It is. Something you speak about all the time, whether from your, your retro clothes, the snapbacks, you, you represent <laughs> Chicago at any point in time. I, I do. Always do. Now, if you look, we see how the media's portrayal of Southside Chicago is. Uh-huh. How did, did that give you any motivation to create this show, The Shy, that you're working on with Showtime? That was the motivation. I, th- I think it, it wasn't even just about, oh, I want to battle the press or mm-hmm. the media. I'm aware of the stories that are coming out of the city. They are, it's true, you know, that's that's happening. But I think for me, I, and I didn't want to sugarcoat it. Like, I'm aware that the city uh, has its issues, mm-hmm. but I'm also a person from there. My family still lives there. I have a lot of friends that are still there. And it's not all bad. Yep. Um, and there are just people there that are, that are human beings living their day-to-day life, trying to raise kids, trying to make an honest living, mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to, I, I want to get out of Chicago. You know, that's not everybody. You know, like, I, I always tell people all the time, if I wasn't doing this, I probably would still be in Chicago. Right. Like, I really, I love the city. I love what it represents. I love how it feels. I love the smells. I love the people. I love the food. Like, I'm obs- obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's funny, because I never thought I would write a show about the city, but I think that's just, it was just sort of a natural... Thing you know, mm-hmm. for me to eventually write about it because I am so obsessed with it. Um, it's about like Langston Hughes writing about black folk. You know, you can't yeah. you write about what you love, and um, so I think for me is like I it just came from the heart. Like I really wanted to tell a story that really shows how these things happen, how violence sort of escalates, why maybe it's a part of our our city. I, I don't have all the answers, and I don't want the show to to, to for people to pander to people for them to think that I can tell them, well, this is what's wrong with Chicago. This yeah. is why, you know, no, I, I just hope I can show this sometime. There are misunderstandings. There's people grappling, grappling with what they believe masculinity is, what it means to be black, what it means to be in Chicago. What it, but the truth is, it's like, I think now to be black is to be prey, you know, and... Um, mm. And we, and that is, and we live with that every day. Mm -hmm. But particularly be a black male because you're seen as something to fear. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you seen as a knucklehead. You seen as a thug. You seen as, you know, and and the thing is, but people just see that image of you. They don't get to know you. And I think for me, my hope is that people get to know some of these young black men. Um, and they're not all perfect, you know. And and that's my job is to make sure that these characters are flawed, but. Yeah. I hope that even in their flaws, you see their humanness. Well, that's what it means to be human, is right. to be flawed. No, no one's perfect. Everybody should be allowed to be that But I way. do think for black for black audiences, there is this thing of like, why we got to always be like this? Show us. This, da, da, da. I'm like, I'm not, gonna I'm not just going to show us in a great light. That's not mm-hmm. my job. I mean, as, as Nina Simone always says, like, as an artist's job, it is my responsibility to reflect the times. And I do mm-hmm. know some black artists believe, but we, we want to elevate and show us as better. I'm like, no, nah. it's like Cosby show is great. That's fine. Yeah. But to me, it's like, I, I'm a fan of, and I was a fan, I am a fan of, of Cosby Show and Different World and that kind of stuff. Love it. But to me, what had the most impact was Menace to Society. Like, right. boy, and Boys in the Hood is cool, too. I, I'm obsessed with Boys in the Hood. Oh, freaky. Obsessed, obsessed. <laughs> but there's something, I really have a special place in my heart for Menace to Society. And mm-hmm. I think it's because they were sort of like the NWA of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. They were like, we not going to sugarcoat. Mm-hmm. We gonna keep it one hundred. Mm-hmm. We're gonna kill our protagonist. Right. That you spend the whole movie getting to know yep. and vibing with and rolling with him and right. seeing the mistakes he makes and, right. um, but also seeing him wanting more for himself but not knowing how to get that. Right. Um, and then when he finally decides to do do something for himself, you know, something that he did comes back to haunt mm-hmm. him. So it's like that to me is like I'm more I learn more mm-hmm. about who we are mm-hmm. by seeing that. Yeah. Versus like the sweet kind, you know, but also too at the same time, like the best man, like going to see that, I was like, oh snap, you know, like this is phenomenal. Yep. I'm obsessed with this, you know, or boomerang, right. you know, where you have like this sort of professional swag, the suits, you know, the you know, the goofing around, like mm-hmm. joking. We need all of it. Yeah. Um, and I just but to me, I think the thing that like really hit me in my chest was like when I saw Men's Society. Like it just because I was just like, Oh, this is amazing. And I think to if you look at my work or, you know, it's such a reflection between the shy and and then obviously this half hour comedy I wrote that's very thinly veiled about my life and my twenties in Los Angeles. I kinda like both. You know, mm-hmm. I like the rough and tumble, I like the gritty, but then also at the same time, like or even like my episode of Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. it's like I also like I'm I'm comedic and I like to have fun and for right. things to look a certain way. So um, my hope is I just get to have opportunities to tell more stories and and sort of show my aesthetic. Yeah, there's you, room for all of that. Yeah, but do you find it challenging as a black creator to get out and tell authentic black stories? Yeah, I have to. You know, um, and it's tough. You know, I mean, it's like I don't I don't have final cut on things. I'm not Shonda Rhimes just yet, so <laughs> I have to. It's it's very political. It's mm-hmm. like sometimes you I like a nice story idea, but if my producing partners everybody doesn't love it, I kind of got to go, okay. I'll hold that until I have a little more clout. Um, but that's what the cool thing about Thanksgiving. Like, I had free reign. They were like, do your thing, tell your story, right. and, um, and... And you got an Emmy from it, like, oh, or Emmy nomination. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, into maybe I'm speaking it into existence. I'm putting it out um, there. No, I mean, and that's why I think that was really validating, you know, yeah. to say, like, when I got a chance to tell a story authentically mm-hmm. and and very and really just an honest I couldn't be more honest in, in that storytelling for them to, that's why to be recognized is such a is such an honor really and a joy but you know for me like I want to be authentic I want it to be as black as possible I want it to be as real as possible and I believe that I am a bit of a maestro like I know how we talk I know how we think I know how we live because I submerge myself within black culture and within black people and in these worlds and I know how we talk to each other I know how we relate to each other I know how we eat I know how we throw shade I know how we Yep. How we joke, um, and so, and it is a it is a, a language, you know. And I can't always do it in a way where I get to just have completely complete free reign. But when I do have the opportunity, I try to run with it. I go, okay, I'm gonna go in, you know. And um, and I think that's I think you see a lot of that in the Thanksgiving episode in terms of like the conversation at the table. You know, Jesus was really cool about letting me like do the, have the OJ conversation, and we, he wanted to talk about this. He was like, do the Sandra Bland, like let's show how these conversations evolve, but don't over time. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, let's go. And um, and I think you know being able to write those conversations with with people at the table like that stuff people just don't see they don't see they don't get to be a fly on the wall and and the truth is when black folks get together we talk about white people you know yeah. <laughs> and, and I love my white brothers and sisters but we do sometimes when we're I remember like yesterday when I'd be a little kid and Thanksgiving my grandmother got right at the house. The conversation always circles back to, uh-huh, well, they don't want us to have nothing. I mean, it's just always that. And yeah. and I don't think that perpetuates a bad thing. I think it's just sort of like when you're around 
your own, you talk about the things that bug you or the yeah, things your that you, frustrations. Yeah, you know, what you're trying to get yeah. and, and and how y'all want to progress. Yeah. The things you have to conceal when you're out. Yeah, and, about. and that's not even mean spirited. I mean, obviously, them talking about certain things in the headlines, like the OJ Simpson case, obviously Sandra Bland, you know, the Michael Jackson nod. I mean, I think, but everybody knows. Like, I, I just felt honored to be able to like tell our stuff and people are like yeah you got it right because it's a, it's a, it's a, it is it's a language it's a secret language that we have and me getting a chance to expose some of it and write it is is so much fun for me because I'm like people don't know mm-hmm. but also it's cool for us to see it and hear it and go yep that's right she hit it what do you think is going to take from the industry to see more of authentic black content created I mean a big thing is I think we need more brown people in, in those offices and in, in those yeah. at these in the executive level mm-hmm. um, speaking of black execs you know my turn to my girl we need more people like, you know, like Tendo, like Alana, you know, who, um, and Tendo is a phenomenal exec. He's over at Disney. Um, but it's like, you know, we need more people in those offices to say, uh, mm, I think you should leave that alone. Or I think that's right. Or I think we need to hear more of that person's voice, you know, because um, it's just, it's important. So the know? creators get closed out of those conversations. Well, no, they're a part of them, but sometimes you need, and I'm not saying You like, need somebody fighting for you. Yeah, but also too, not because I think people think, oh, let's have more black execs, but we need good black execs, you know, yeah. people that aren't just going to give black folks a pass, but will yep. say, yeah, I hear you, but let's make it better. I mean, I think the exec part is really, and, I've, and I've, most, a lot of my execs are white, and I think they're fantastic and amazing, but I do think it, it, we could, that some of these networks and students could be definitely definitely more diverse mm-hmm. and and um and that's a part that's why I try to encourage because that's not always on them I mean, and it's like they need people to hire so I always try to encourage folks like oh I want to be in the business I go but you don't always have to be a writer or a director it's like try to go into development you know because the truth is you if that's not your calling you can actually help somebody whose calling it is mm-hmm. to get through the door so I I, I think a lot of us want more folks that look like us when we walk in to pitch meetings or when we're going and you know and look and I've been very blessed most of the folks that have given me opportunities have not looked like me but I I know that as for future generations coming up I know it'll be a little bit more helpful because they they'll just they'll know it they'll read it a different way versus somebody who is they haven't they're not as familiar with the world yeah outside looking in as opposed to yeah. inside looking out yeah, yeah. that's real before we get out of here, we're going to have you participate in what we like to call fishbowl. Cool. You're going to pick some random questions cool. out of the bowl and answer honestly. Are you holding on something you need to let go of? Damn, this is deep. No, not at the moment. Anything I'm holding on to right now, I still, I'm still fighting it. So I need to hold on to it until I've like won the battle. So no, there's nothing that... I don't, I don't, I don't believe in like holding grudges, all that kind of stuff. Like... Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody does wrong by me, I'm not gonna work. I'm not. Gonna, I, I just go okay. I'm not messing with you no more. Yep. I'm not holding a grudge or anything. But I feel like I there are certain battles until you've won them. You just can't stay in it. So I'm not letting go of it until I win. I'm like until that. I conquer that thing. So technically, no. What big lessons people learn from your life? Okay, that, that's a good one to, to wrap up on. To it's it's easy like to authentically to be the most authentic version of yourself possible. Like anything, like the things that make us different or unique or weird or make us stand out are superpowers. And I think whenever people try to go like, oh, I want to be like everybody else. It's like, you will be just that. You'll be like everybody else. And no one will remember your name. They will not speak about you when you are gone. So embrace the things that make you different and unique. Where would we be if like RuPaul didn't embrace the things that made him unique? Where would we be if Oprah didn't embrace the things that made her unique? Where would we be if Martin Luther King didn't take the fact that like he was such a wonderful orator and could command the audiences, you know, around the world? Where would we be if, if, if Malcolm X like never went to Egypt and like and, and, and uh, learned things he learned and, and didn't share his lessons with us and didn't write down his story? If Sojourner Truth did not name herself Sojourner Truth, you know, if uh, if Harriet Tubman didn't, you know, become the Black Moses of our of our time, you know, it's like the people that we speak of and we know of and we hear about are people that embrace the thing that I think God put inside of them when they were in their mother's womb. So it's like whatever that thing is for you, it's like hold on tight to it, embrace it, and don't be afraid of uh, shouting it from the rooftops. That is a beautiful nugget to end on. Well, Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening and tuning in to another episode of Married Millennials. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and share it with your friends. And of course, let's keep the conversation going online. You can head over to our website, lovejays.com, and you will see all of our social media icons right there at the top of the page. Thank you, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye, y'all.